You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. All right, thank you, Todd. Uh, Good morning, Bethel. How are we doing? Good morning. Uh, We are excited to dive back in to Galatians. So open up your Bibles, fire up your electronic devices. As I see the angelic glow of your screens, come back up, wake up, that's great. Uh, Galatians 1, verse 11 through 16 is where we will be this morning. Steve Brown, in his book, A Scandalous Freedom, recounts a story of what happened one day at a boarding school. One day, somebody set out a basket of apples just right there in the hallway. And next to the basket, there was a sign. sign said, tank only one, God's watching. It wasn't very long before a second basket showed up right next to the apples. This time, though, the basket was filled with fresh, warm chocolate chip cookies. Mm. And that basket had a sign, too. And somebody had written, this time in the little chicken scratch of a little kid, it said, take all the cookies you want. God's watching the apples. (laughs) Welcome to Galatians. Two ways of seeing the world. Two views of God. Two visions for how we should do church. Two gospels. One of them, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus' gospel that that Paul is preaching. The second one we'll call the Jesus and gospel that the Judaizers are preaching. The latter says, hey, God's watching. The former says, take and eat. All you want. God baked them fresh for you. If you've been here the past couple weeks, uh, you may remember what's going on here in Galatians as this book is being written. Paul has gone. He's he's kind of been the first one there, the boots on the ground, and he preached the gospel and he's established these churches. But now some other men have come from the church in Jerusalem, and they're kind of like the the discipleship follow-up team is on the scene. And then they're there to kind of make sure things run smooth, everyone's doing what they're supposed to do, and they, they kind of come and they show up and they say, hey, hey, guys, Paul's great. He did great. He, he did what he's supposed to do. He, he left a few things out. I'm sorry. He left a few things out, and so we're going to have to fill you in. And so they say, yes, Paul, Paul was absolutely right about Jesus. Yes, Jesus, that's what you need, Jesus, and... Well, it doesn't really matter what they put after the end, does it? They had their list. We have ours. For them, it was circumcision, other Jewish rituals following the law. You know, for us, there is as many versions of the Jesus and gospel as there are people in this room right now, isn't there? It's the Jesus and gospel is your own version of what you need in your life to matter, to be successful, to have joy. You need Jesus and... Maybe it's a reputation. Maybe it's a certain level of success. Maybe it's your family or life to look a certain way. Maybe it's a certain level of attendance. Maybe it's at least sometimes to have the right answer in Bible study. It could be anything. But it tells you that you need Jesus and. And it can look a million different ways, but really, for us this morning, it boils down to two options. Jesus' gospel or the Jesus and gospel. Those are our two options this morning. You know what's so easy to do in our context? It's so easy to have the right answer, isn't it? I mean, we know this. It's grace. 
It's grace alone. It's Jesus. It's the Jesus gospel. And so I have no doubt, if I pass out a paper exam, you know, which gospel is it? Y'all would all, everyone circle A. We'd pass 100% flying color. Same thing with our church. Same thing with us as Bethel. And we know, we know what to put in the vision statement, in our doctrinal statements, in our belief statements on our website. It's the Jesus gospel. It's the gospel of grace. But is that how we live our everyday life? Is that the gospel that dictates all of our relationships, our daily interactions, how we are at work, all the, all the million minute details of our life? What about Bethel as a church? Is, is grace what defines what someone experiences when they come here on Sunday and they interact with me and they interact with you or they come to our life groups, our Bible studies, or, or they check us out at the grocery store during the week? After studying this passage this week, I got very convicted. For myself personally, I think many of us spend our lives, maybe we start out in the lane of Jesus' gospel, and then we just constantly try to veer off the road into a Jesus and gospel. So you know what Galatians is for us this morning? Galatians is those rumble strips they put on the side of the road. You know what I'm talking about? You hit them, they start making that loud, you're about to die noise, you know? That's what Galatians is for us this morning. Saying, warning, you're veering off. Get back to the Jesus gospel. Let's read verse 11 through 16. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I think these are, there are really three questions that these verses are asking us to, to ask ourselves about our lives, to examine ourselves to examine what is the gospel of our daily life. And it's these. What's the source of your gospel? When it comes to the gospel of your daily life, what does your gospel require you to prove? And finally, does the gospel of your daily life include what only Jesus can do? So first, what's the source of your gospel? You know, when you first read these verses, a surface reading, it's easy to feel like you just kind of walked into a bickering match between Paul and the Judaizers, right? Like you just happened upon some kind of Twitter war, and they're just arguing back and forth and kind of name dropping, and oh, I went here and I did this, well, I came from here and I did this, and they're just going back and forth. But that's actually not what's happening at all, y'all. That's actually not what's happening. See, the Judaizers, they're not that interested in Paul. They're really not. If Paul agreed with them, then they'd be saying, it's Paul great, this is perfect, no problem here. What they're really arguing against is Paul's message. It's the message that matters, the gospel. And Paul isn't just interested in defending himself. He's going to give us his story, his bio, because he thinks the gospel is at stake. See, Paul, the Judaizers, 
They are absolutely unified on one thing. When it comes to the gospel you follow, your source matters. Your source matters deeply. I'm the youngest sibling in my family. I'm the baby of the family. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Who's, who's the baby of the family in here? Yeah. Great. Youngest siblings unite. So it wasn't very often I tried to tell my older brother what to do. Uh, when I did, it was usually out of desperation and in a really whiny voice, and I was saying something like, stop punching me in the face, okay? Youngest and oldest, y'all know this. Did, did that work? Was that effective? No. In fact, he just punched me more in the face, usually. There were some times I could go to mom and say, mom, my older brother's punched me in the face. And she would say, well, you go tell your brother that I said to stop. And so there I would go, not whining anymore, full of gusto. I'm the captain now, brother. Mama said, you have to stop. So what changed? My message didn't change. The source changed. The source matters. What Paul is arguing at the beginning of this passage is, hey, I didn't get it from man. I got it from Jesus. Mama said. Let's reread verse 12. He says, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The beginning where he says it wasn't received from man. The original language speaks of origins, where something emanates from. So right now, as the sound of my voice is emanating from my vocal cords, you go outside and the light originates from the sun, is emanating from the sun. He says, hey, this gospel, it didn't originate, it didn't emanate from any man. It's supernatural. Nor was it carried along by men. That's what he says in, in verse 12. He says, I wasn't taught it by any men. He goes on to say in verse 16, after he saw Jesus, he didn't go consult with men. He's saying, listen, I didn't, I didn't go for four years to the Jerusalem Discipleship School and get told exactly what to say and just get passed on the opinions of other men. So what was it? Verse 12, he says, it was revelation. I got it from Jesus. He's saying this gospel, this message, it started with Jesus, it originated with Jesus, and it's been carried on by Jesus, not by man. It's revelation. Paul here is arguing for his apostleship. And just like other men, like Peter, James, and John, these are the men who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus. These are the men who God revealed himself to through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit moved in these men to write down the very words of God. So the words that they wrote down that we have here are from God. They are revelation. Paul is saying, hey, your source matters. And so my message, my gospel, if, I, if half this New Testament is just from other men, then it's worthless, but it's not. It matters because it's from God. Your source matters. And so I think it's worth asking ourselves this morning, what is the source of your gospel? What is the source of the gospel of your everyday life? Maybe it's your boss or your colleagues that say, this is what you have to do to matter. This is winning. This is what a man is. Maybe it's your family who's taught you your, your whole life. This is how we do things. This is what's expected of you. 
You know, it could just be your emotions and your own sense of comfort that say, hey, here, this is what's going to make you happy. This is what you need. Pursue these things. What about all the pictures of what life should be like that are painted by the books we read, the tweets we read, the posts we read, the pictures we look at, and all the other people's lives we compare our own life to. This is what we do. This is what I do. This, this is how it works. We, we read a post. We read something. It's so beautiful, and it's so poetic, or it's so wise and profound, or the picture is so picturesque. And then something happens in us, and, and so we take that picture, and that picture becomes the source of what my life should be about and what I need in my life. Isn't that how it works so many times? So I see that, and I think, yes, yes, I need Jesus. Yes, Jesus has accomplished all. I need Jesus, and I need, I need a word to speak that well, or I need to get my family to look like that, or I need to make sure I'm, I'm doing the right things with my kids and all the right activities and all the right schools and all the right reading lists, and, 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 Jesus, and. And all of a sudden, Jesus just isn't enough for me in my everyday life. My wife and I got an up-close picture of this through my wife's best friend. She's an amazing photographer, really amazing, and just naturally good at it. And then her kids, all of her kids are like Gerber baby kids, you know, just as beautiful as they can be. And so not long ago, she started to be out with family, and she just took take pictures and kind of do stuff with them, and she created an, an Instagram account, started posting those things, and before she knew it, she had hundreds of followers, hundreds. She's kind of astonished. She's like, I don't know these people. I don't know who most of these people are. You know? She enjoys taking pictures. She's good at it. People love looking at them. What's the problem? What could go wrong, right? So one day she gets a letter, a heartbreaking letter from a woman she doesn't even know, not real sure how, got her address. And this letter, this woman recounts just, how depressed she is, how terrible her marriage is, how her kids don't like her, her husband don't, doesn't like her, and she, all she wants is to have that life she sees in those pictures. That's all she wants. And she goes on and on about how great our friend's life is and must be and how much she wants that life. What this woman writing had, didn't know was that our friend's marriage was hanging on by a thread. Our friend was depressed. Our, our friend was having tons of issues with their kids. So she had to write her back. And she said, hey, the, the life you're describing, that's not my life. All it is is a picture. And that's what we do. We, we, we find these sources of, to tell me what I need in my life and what I need to be and what I need to do. These things are never meant to be gospels. It's just a picture. So what's the source of your gospel? What, the source that leads you to, to whatever it is you strive for every day in your life. Listen, I hope you read a lot of books. I hope you read a lot of blogs. I hope you scour all that Twitter and Lifeway and iTunes, 
everything has to offer. There's a lot of great stuff out there. While you're doing that, don't neglect the revelation that we have. These are the words of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And it's so much easier to listen to what a bunch of other sources tell me I should do with my life. Don't let those become the Jesus and gospel. Look to your revelation for the gospel of Jesus. So, think about your everyday life. What's the source of your gospel? Secondly, in your gospel, the gospel of your everyday life, what do you have to prove? What do you have to do to to prove that you're worthy, to prove that you belong, to prove that you get it? Paul was a man who proved it. Verse 13 and 14, let's look at these again. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Listen, don't miss what Paul's doing here. Do you see what he's doing? He is drawing a parallel between his former life and the Judaizers. So he's not talking to them as one saying, man, I can't believe all these wackadoos. Who would ever do something like that? He's saying, no, no, no. I've been there. I went down that road. And so I'm the guy saying, I know where it goes. Don't go down there. I used to be one of you. And so, man, you guys care about religious ritual and religious performance? You didn't care as much as I did. You guys care about tradition? Listen, I followed to a T the best traditions of the best, most well-respected men. I did it. Verse 14, he talks about his zeal and his, his passion. And you read this account of Paul, you read other accounts of Paul recounting his life, and you just get this impression that Paul is a man who had no place for mediocrity in his life, right? He was going to win, no matter what he did. And so if he's into academics, man, he's going to be top of the class. If he's an athlete, he's going to be starting quarterback freshman year, put the team on my shoulder, we're going to the championship. Let's do this. He was going to be second to none because he was so filled with zeal and passion. If he's a businessman, he's going to start from nothing and build a Fortune 500 company. If he's a church leader or a pastor, he's going to have the biggest, fastest growing church in town. This is Paul, filled with passion. He says, I'm going to prove it, and I'm going to measure up. He talks about how he advances beyond everyone else. Y'all, this would have been no easy feat. We know that he studied under a man named Gamaliel, who would have been one of the most respected teachers of the time, it would have been next to impossible even to get into his class. Paul was a star pupil, which meant he would have been elite at arguing and knowing and debating the Scriptures. He would have memorized the Torah. First five books of the Old Testament, memorized, done. How many of us have really read all of Leviticus? Like once, you know? I know how it is. You get, you get the Bible, reading a Bible in a year plan, you look down and there's like 12 chapters in numbers. And it's like one of the sections, like all numbers. Oh, it's great. Paul's like, I love numbers. Passionate for numbers. I'll quote it backwards and forwards, standing upside down. All of it. I love it. Love me some Leviticus. That's Paul. 
And then, like everyone does, when they're obsessed with success and achievement, he conquered all his opposition. Verse 13, he talks about how he persecuted the church. He said he sought out to destroy it. That word, the original word, is from, it's a Greek military term that is when you level a place. He says, I'm so zealous. I'm going to snuff out all the competition. I'm not going to leave one stone in that church left standing. I'm going to destroy it all. That's the kind of passion Paul had. So I think there's an important lesson here. You can be full of passion, full of zeal, and wrong. You can be sincerely wrong. What matters for you and for I is that we are, pas- that we are passionate about the true gospel, about Jesus' gospel. That's what matters. So, for you, go to live your daily life. I think sometimes we're mistaken about what the real danger is of the Jesus and gospel. Sometimes we think the danger is, oh, we, we put up all these hoops that we can never jump through. No, that's not the danger. You know what the danger is? The danger is you put up the hoops and then you jump through The danger is that you and I set up a standard for ourselves and then we meet it and we succeed and we accomplished and we're the man. That's the danger. So in your gospel of your everyday life, what goes on the other side of and? What are the ways you feel like every day you have to prove it, the ways you have to perform to be considered worthy? What do you have to do to matter according to the gospel of your everyday life? Here's a warning, especially for those of you who are succeeding. From Paul's story, you can be zealous and passionate and following a lot the whole time. From the gospel of your everyday life, these are the questions we have to answer. What is your source? What do you have to prove? And finally, does your gospel include what only Jesus can do? So think about Think about your, your everyday life. Think about your expectations for your life, your expectations for your church, your, your understanding of your standing before God. Think about your, what takes up most of your time, your energy, your resources every day. And then ask yourself, is Jesus required for any of it? Or is it all you? Can you take care of it all? Thank you very much. Let's read verse 15 and 16. Paul says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? It pleased God. It gave God pleasure to reveal himself to me. While I was totally wrong, while I was totally pursuing my own desires, while I was totally going the wrong way, it pleased God to reveal himself to me. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus came for me. He showed up for me. I was running from him, and he came for me. 
He recounts this in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. Many of you know the story. Paul, you gotta, you got to figure out, Paul is on that horse headed to Damascus. He is determined to destroy the church. He is determined to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus shows up. When he's telling the story again in Acts 26, 13, I love what Paul says. He says, when Jesus appeared, a light shined brighter than the noonday sun. Brighter than the brightest sun you've ever seen. What does that even look like? How does that happen? Here's Paul's point. Here's Paul's point. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. It's not anything you can manufacture. It's not anything from this world. It's from the other world. It is supernatural. It is not for man. It is from heaven. What's happening here in this scene is something that only Jesus can do. Man cannot do. Notice when God decides to act for Paul. He says in verse 15, before I was born. Before I was born. You know, pay attention to this. This verse is not just here so we can like argue about predestination. Listen to this verse with your heart as well as your head. A man addicted to performance is telling you before I could perform anything. I couldn't even be a good, well-behaved baby. I wasn't even born yet. I couldn't even learn the baby sign language. I couldn't do anything. And, and, all of my rebellion, all of my sin, all of my pride, still in full view of God. That's when he decided to come for me. That's when he decided, for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross. That's when Jesus came for me. That's when he decided it would please him to show me grace. See, Paul here, he exposes the ultimate inadequacy of our Jesus and gospel, and it's this. Our Jesus and gospel, y'all, it's about what we do. Jesus' gospel is about what only Jesus can do. Paul is saying, I tried to earn it, I tried to prove it, but then Jesus came for me and did what only he can do. Paul's story here, men and women, is demanding that we ask some questions to ourselves. Questions like, what can reach a heart so full of arrogance and pride? What is there out there that can reach a heart passionate, zealous, only for its own self-importance? What can break a heart addicted to performance? Y'all, what can melt the heart of a terrorist? Jesus can, and that's the gospel. You need to know this. You need to know this before you, before you leave here and you spend all week trying to earn and perform and control and strive. You need to know, know this. Your most passionate drive, your highest standard, your best performance, all of your determination to matter, all of your successes cannot accept you cannot love you, cannot save you, and cannot forgive you. They will not take you in, they will not make you righteous, and they are powerless to redeem you. But Jesus will. And he came for you just like he came for Paul on the road to Damascus that day. That's why Paul's telling us his story. 
So in the gospel of your daily life, please do not make it about what you do. Make it about what only Jesus can do. The gospel is that Jesus works, Jesus saves, Jesus performs, and Jesus came for you. I want to close by pointing out three very important words we find here in verse 13. As Paul starts to tell his story, he uses the three words, my former life. My former life. And so that everything he recounts after that, about all he used to do, he's saying, that was a whole different life. Now, I have a new life. Now, I'm a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Paul is telling us his story so that you know you can have a former life and a new life. And I know, I know for many of us in this room, that can be hard to believe. I know, I know the voices, I know the doubts. If you knew, if you only knew, if you only knew how many times I've tried and failed, if you only knew how many times I haven't been able to shake that sin, if you only knew all the people I've hurt, all the times I've got it wrong, if you only knew. And here's what Paul is telling you this morning. I was a terrorist. And Jesus showed up for me. He's telling you this morning. Jesus came for you, he died for you, and he lives for you. That's the gospel this morning. And if you've never put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, you can do that this morning and leave your work and all you can accomplish, leave that to your former life. That's Jesus' gospel. Let's live it every day. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray and close. The band's gonna come back up and we're gonna respond to Jesus' gospel the only appropriate way. Not by adding to it, not by trying to earn it, not by doing more, but by worshiping him. And we're gonna proclaim that he has the power to save. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you as a people in need. We don't like to admit that, I confess. I would much rather come this morning saying, look what I did for you. Look how I measured up. Look how I earned it. Lord, the reality is nothing I can do compares to all you have done. So Lord, help us believe your gospel. Help us believe it so much we don't need to add anything to it. Free us from our idols, our selfish pursuits. Lord, help us in our daily life and our daily interactions to reflect your gospel so that others see and experience your greatness and your grace. Lord, we ask that you would use our story like you used Paul's. Let others know that they can have new life in you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.